Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Sometimes we think that in order to have real joy, then everything in our life needs to be really great. Our health, our relationships, our finances, our career, our status, and everything else. But in this psalm, where David talks about his heart being glad, his tongue rejoicing, he talks about looking forward to the fullness of joy and pleasures that will just last forever. David's circumstances were far from ideal. Now in this psalm he doesn't tell us exactly what's going on. But look how he starts it in verse 1. Keep me safe, O God. With the same kind of authenticity and honesty that we saw last week in Psalm 13, David prayed to God for safety. And they can only imply that he prayed for safety because he felt that he was under threat. That he felt that there was in gra- he was in grave danger. In fact, that seems to be exactly what David was feeling because he was afraid of dying. He was concerned that he would be abandoned to the grave. Now, we don't know why he felt like this. Because... You can't pinpoint exactly when that would be in David's life because David's life was often under threat right throughout his life. Maybe if he wrote this psalm when he was a shepherd boy, then maybe he felt under threat because of the wild animals that he had to protect his flock from. Maybe he talks about going into pit and killing, killing animals there. Or if he wrote it when he was a soldier, then maybe... It was because he was under threat of dying in a battle. Or maybe even under threat of being killed by King Saul, who was killing him out of jealousy, trying to kill him out of jealousy. Or if he wrote it after being crowned as sovereign, then maybe it was the threat of the nations around him who would have loved to have defeated him in battle and killed him and deposed him as king. So right throughout David's life, his life was under threat. He was in danger. Now, our circumstances are very different from David's. 
And the world that we live in is different from, from his. And yet, this concern over dying is just as common today. This is what Hebrews 2 says. He talks about those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And that hasn't changed in all these years. Still people are afraid of dying. So David wasn't living a carefree life where everything was going great and he didn't have a care in the world. So why could he, if he was feeling under threat, in fear of his life, why could he say in this psalm that my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices? My body also will rest secure. What was the reason for David's joy, even in the face of danger? Well, I think this psalm is written to explain this. To answer that exact question. Because if you look at verse 9, if you've got your Bible open, you'll see that either side of this declaration of joy in verse 9 are the words, therefore, which points, uh, points back to the, what he's just said in this psalm. And then verse 10, because, giving further reasons. So this declaration of joy was based on what comes before it and also what comes after it. This psalm gives David's reasons why his heart was glad and why his tongue was rejoicing. And I think there are three basic uh, reasons for them that I would pull out of this psalm. So we're going to look at those three reasons why David was rejoicing and see if we could learn some of those as well. First of all, David's heart was glad and his tongue was rejoicing because he'd committed himself to the Lord. I said to the Lord, verse 2, you are my Lord. David had wholeheartedly put his trust in the God of Israel. He declared him to be his Lord, his master, and his king. What that meant is that he rejected all of the other gods that people worshipped. He said, verse 4, I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up the names or their names on my lips. He would not join in with the sacrifices to idols. And he would not pray to other, the other false gods that other people did. But he also gives us the reason why he wouldn't do that. See in verse 4 again. The start of verse 4. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. David knew that those other gods were not able to save. The gods of this world, whether they are little statues of gold or silver or stone, or whether they are the idols of money or education or career or popularity or possessions or family or sport or anything else, Everything else that other people trust in to give them success and significance and security. They are all 
false gods. They are all false foundations for us in our lives. They promise so much. Come and bow down to me and I'll fulfill your life. I'll give you security. I'll make your life worth living. But ultimately, they will fail to deliver. They'll give us nothing but emptiness and loss. I think many of us know this, don't we? Because when we've gone after those things, they always leave us dissatisfied. There's always a, an anticlimax. I remember uh, when I was young, education was a big thing. I, I was always wanted to, as a bit of a swap, if you would say, I, I always wanted to be top of the class, that kind of thing. And you always get your results and it would be great for a little while. And then it would be the next exam, and next exam, and next exam. And it would always, it would never really satisfy. It was always a kind of anticlimax. It never really was enough. So they're false gods. They can't satisfy. Instead, David, he'd put his trust in the Lord. For in you, I take refuge. The picture here is that of a of a, a bird hiding under its mother's wings. Or the picture that, uh, that comes to my mind is that of a child. You ever seen a child running up and, and grabbing hold of their parents' legs? Sheltering under their parent? They're taking refuge there because that's where they feel safe. That's what David was doing with God. He was hiding himself in God. He was trusting that even in the difficult times, God was his place of safety, of security, of refuge. And unlike the the false gods of the nations around, the Lord would never let him down. Because God is the only one, as we're thinking about it already, God is the only one who keeps all of his promises. Remember that verse that, that Al quoted to us from Numbers? God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he promise and not fulfill? Does he speak and then not act? Or as David wrote in Psalm 18, he says this, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. David is an amazing poet. Just picks up all of these different images to just give us this impression or this idea that God is a place where if we go to Him, we are completely safe. We are completely secure. But God was not only David's Lord and refuge, he's also his counsellor. Look at verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. So often in our lives we kind of feel overwhelmed by the, the, the dangers and the decisions and the distractions all around us. We feel as if we, we just don't know which way to turn. Or what to do. Or how to get through what we're facing. But God is the one who knows the end from the beginning. He's already there. At the end. So he doesn't need to kind of guess what's the best option. 
Because he already knows. He is the source of wisdom and knowledge. His will is always good. And it's always pleasing. And it's always perfect. But he's also the God who speaks to his people. Night and day, he leads them. Guiding them, directing them in the way that he should go. Remember, one of the amazing titles of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9 is that Jesus is our wonderful counsellor. But of course, that's only of benefit to those who are committed to listening to God and following what he says. doesn't do us any good if we listen to God and just say, I don't want to listen to that. I want to do my own way. It's because of David's commitment to God that he was eager to listen for God's voice and follow God's commands. And as a result of that, he could say, you have made known to me the path of life. That's what God was leading David in. The path of life. And if we too are committed to him, then Jesus promises that he will direct us. He will night and day, he will speak into our hearts. He will lead us in the path of life. So this is David's first reason for joy in his life. He was dedicated to the Lord. He was trusting in the Lord. He was listening to the Lord. And so he knew that he was safe and secure. He could say in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And if we put our trust in Jesus, if we turn away from everything else uh, or anything else, and if we declare that Jesus is alone our Lord and our Saviour, then we too can rejoice. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So first of all, be glad and rejoice because of our commitment to God. Secondly, David's heart was glad and his tongue was rejoicing because of his contentment in God. Look at verse 6 please. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now I think the language here is that of the kind of the division of the land of Canaan. Remember the nation of Israel, they came into the land of Canaan and they finally took possession of that land that God had promised to them hundreds of years before. And it was divided up and assigned to the different tribes and the different families within those tribes. And it was done by casting lots. And David is kind of saying that he's content with the land that he received. It's pleasant, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. But I think there's more than that. Because David realised that this procedure of apportioning the different parts of the land wasn't by choice, wasn't by chance, sorry. Instead, God was in control of it. Look at verse 5. Lord, you have assigned my portion and my cup. You have assigned it. You have made my lot secure. 
David's land, his food, his drink, his security wasn't, didn't come to him as a result of a roll of a dice or of fate or of chance. Instead, David realised that every good thing that he had was a gift from God. That's what James says in James chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And I think if we could grasp onto that truth, that would change our attitude to what we have. Instead of arrogantly thinking, well, this is mine because I've earned it or I've worked for it. Or jealously comparing what we have with somebody else and thinking what they have is so much better. If we could hold on to the fact that everything that we have is a gift from God, then we'll be filled with an attitude of gratitude and joy for what God has given to us. We'll be able to be content because it's a gift from God. But I think there's an even deeper truth than this as well. Because we know that the gifts, the things in our life, they can't be the foundation of joy for us. Because ultimately those things will fail to satisfy our hearts, won't they? Ecclesiastes 5 and 10, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. doesn't matter how much we have, it just never will satisfy us ultimately. Apple, just was it last week or the week before, they just made a, 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 an announcement of their new Apple phone coming out. I can't remember what it's called, X Max or something like that, because it's a massive big thing. I don't know how big it is. Uh, but have you realised that the last time it was the, 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 the iPhone 10 was the best thing in the whole wide world? Now all those people who lined up and queued up for that in the shops, they'll now be lining up and queuing up and buying the next one that costs even more money. Because it doesn't matter what we have, it never satisfies us. There's always something more we long for. So the inheritance that David rejoiced in wasn't really about the gifts that God had given him. They were great, but that really wasn't the foundation of his joy. Instead, it was the gift of God himself. Do you see what he says to the Lord in verse 2? You are my Lord, apart from you. I have no good thing. This is David's supreme treasure. This is what he valued above everything else. This is what his heart was satisfied with. This is the inheritance that he rejoiced in. Nothing less than God himself. I wonder if that's true of us. Is the Lord our ultimate treasure? Could we say with the Apostle Paul, I consider everything as loss, a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
Can we really say that? Ultimately, this is the only treasure that will satisfy our hearts. This is the only treasure that will bring that lasting joy into our souls. In his younger years, a guy called Augustine of Hippo, (coughs) he went after everything that this world could offer at that time. Didn't have apples in those days. I think it was the 4th century or something like that. But finally, he realized that only God could satisfy him. And this is what he writes, a very famous quote from him. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So if we are running after everything that this world will offer us, then our hearts are always going to be restless. We'll never ever experience that lasting joy that we're looking for. But if we're resting in the treasure that God is, if we're seeking Him as our first priority, if we're rejoicing in all that He is, then we're always going to have reasons to rejoice. So David, he could be glad and rejoice because of his commitment to God and because of his contentment in God. But lastly, it's also because of his confidence in God. David said that his heart was glad and his tongue rejoiced because he could say to God, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. We said at the start that David started this psalm with a plea for safety because he was afraid that death would take everything that he had from him. But now this prayer had been transformed into a declaration of faith that God would not leave his soul among the dead. That God would not allow him just to rot in the grave. So some people see here David's confidence that God would preserve his life from that immediate danger that he was, he was focused on, that he was threatened by. That God in some way would protect him from dying. Maybe it was in reminding himself about how God was his Lord, God was his refuge, God was his counsellor, God was his treasure. That David's fear of death was replaced by his faith in God. In a God who could protect him and guard him and lead him and satisfy him and make known to him the path of life. But other people, when they read this psalm, they see that David's confidence was that even death could not separate him from God. That even when death eventually came, as it comes to everyone, even then, death couldn't, God would not abandon him to the grave. But instead, God would take him to be with him forever. And so David went on to say in verse 11, You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And so death would not mean that his commitment to God was pointless or a waste of time. Because because of his commitment to God, 
David was confidently looking forward to being with God in his presence at his right hand forever. And death would not destroy his contentment in God. Because if God is the greatest treasure that we long for, then David could confidently look forward to a fuller experience of joy. An eternal pleasure of being with God forever. So instead of being afraid that death was going to take everything that he valued and everything that he loved from him, David could confidently trust God that even in the face of death, God was still his refuge. God was still his Lord. God was still his counsellor. God was still his treasure. How is this possible? How could David be so confident of life after death? How could he overcome our greatest enemy? Well, it's because of something else that was going on in this psalm. A deeper meaning in this psalm. Maybe some of you already know this. But on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up, and explain to the crowds in Jerusalem there that day what was happening to him and the other apostles having been just received the Holy Spirit. David actually stood up and quoted from this psalm. He actually quoted from verse 8 right down to verse 11. It's quoted in Acts chapter 2. And just after he quoted this psalm, then he said this. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. So seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That He was not abandoned to the grave. That nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. What was Peter saying? Well, he was saying, well, Peter didn't go to the grave. Uh, Sorry, David did go to the grave. He did eventually die. And his body did decay. So even though verse 10 of this psalm, in a sense applied to him and expresses his faith in God of his life after death, David ultimately wasn't speaking about himself in this psalm. When he said, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Instead, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David was pointing forward to his greatest descendant, to the ultimate Messiah, to the King of Kings. He was prophesying that Jesus, even although he would be put to death, his body would not be abandoned to the grave. His body would not see decay. And Peter was able to stand up that day and say that he and the others were witnesses of that fact. They were witnesses of that fulfilled prophecy. 
Because on the cross, Jesus took upon himself our sin. He died the death sentence that we deserved. But on the third day, before his body began to decay, which was in those days seen as on day four, he rose again to show that he paid for our sins in full, that he defeated death, that he would opened up the path to life in all its fullness. And so all who belong to Jesus can, as David did, rejoice that death will not have the final say in our lives. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, we can say, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we've trusted in Jesus, if we've put in our faith in Him as our refuge and our Lord and our counsellor and our treasure, then no matter what difficulty or danger we are facing in our lives, like David, we can rejoice Because we can look forward to the fact that the best is yet to come. We can say with confidence to the Lord that you will fill me with joy in your presence. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. So no matter what we're going through today, No matter what we're facing in our lives, no matter what difficulties or trials we have to to get through today, these are reasons that we can rejoice. These are reasons why our hearts can be glad. First of all, because of our commitment to Jesus. Jesus is our Lord and our refuge and our counsellor. And secondly, because of our contentment in Jesus. That he is our greatest treasure. He alone will satisfy our hearts. And thirdly, because of our confidence in Jesus. That because of his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection, that sin and death has been defeated. And that we will be with him in mind-blowing glory forever. Today, we have reasons to rejoice in the Lord. We have reasons for our hearts to be glad and our tongues to rejoice.